Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. In 1 Corinthians 15.35, the Apostle Paul says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? You may have heard the quote that we don't have a soul, we are a soul and we have a body, but forget that quote. Uh, It is often attributed to C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis did not say such a thing. And we're going to see today, by God's word, that our body will not be abandoned when we are resurrected, but it will be restored and it will be made new. Uh, And this is what happened with Jesus' resurrected body, which is our main point here in this series, the Defending the Resurrection series. And we will receive the same type of restored and glorified body that Jesus Christ did. Uh, So our bodies will not be gone. They will be incredibly refurbished. And we are going to go through Scripture and cover what the Bible has to say about the nature of the resurrected body. But first, as we continue our Defending the Resurrection series, this upcoming week, we're going to have Dr. Gary Habermas, expert in the resurrection. So we're going to have him on this week. If you have a question for him, send it to information at apologetics.org. Make sure you get it in soon. And you may have your question answered by Dr. Gary Habermas, and you'll have a chance to receive a copy of The Case for the Resurrection, which is one of the best books written on the arguments for the resurrection in our lifetime. Uh, And by the way, if you're listening over the radio, make sure you subscribe to the Universe Next Door podcast. You'll hear content uh, episodes and some longer episodes than what you hear on the radio. So go ahead and uh, just subscribe to the Universe Next Door podcast. Uh, The state of Jesus' body post-resurrection in the state of our bodies post-resurrection is a big deal in Christian theology, and it's something that the Christian should really look forward to. Uh, This is not simply nitpicking at secondary or tertiary points of doctrine. This is something that should encourage the follower of Jesus Christ. Firstly, because the more truth that we know about the Savior we worship, the better off that we are. Uh, The less vagueness and the less lack of knowledge that we have about Jesus, the greater he becomes in our eyes because everything about Jesus is great. So if you've ever sang the hymn, His Name is Wonderful in church, um, that phrase is so good because his name carries with it the truth of who he is. So knowledge about God matters. Uh, People in scripture, in fact, are rebuked for having zeal without knowledge. Um, I think that scripture seems to tell us that the reason people reject Christ is either because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of who he is and what the gospel is, um, how wonderful he is, or it's a suppression of that knowledge in unrighteousness. So knowledge is extremely important to the Christian, and knowing Christ first means knowing about Christ. Uh, Secondly, this should be an encouragement to us as followers of Jesus, because whatever suffering you are currently facing, whether it's physical, such as a disease or an injury or sickness, uh, something difficult you've had to live with, whether it is something psychological like anxiety or depression, uh, regardless of what you've had to deal with, these things will cease to exist when we stand before God and receive our glorified body. And of course, I'm not saying not to deal with these things here on earth. There are stuff uh, you can do to, to help yourself along, but 
these things will go away one day. Isaiah 25, 8, in fact, says he will wipe away every tear. So this isn't truly impossible or truly possible in an ultimate sense while we're here on earth, because even though the punishment of sin has been taken away from those who believe, we're still continuing on in our sinful bodies, meaning that our bodies have been attacked and are deteriorating as a result of sin and as a result of the fall. But once we get to heaven, uh, these same sinful bodies are going to be restored, they're going to be made new, and we will be glorified in Christ's presence. And I think this is why the Apostle Paul in the famous eschatological passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he tells us that the dead will be raised first and then the living, this was not Paul just simply giving the people in Thessalonica uh, some, some theological truths to think about, though it certainly is also that. Uh, but rather, Paul said these things to encourage the church that was currently under persecution. They were in desperate need for encouragement. And of course, in addition to encouragement for themselves, they would have wondered, okay, well, we're encouraged by what, what Paul's saying, but what about our friends and what about our family who have already been killed due to persecution? What, what about them? How will we encourage them? And Paul tells them the perfect answer that he said they are to be most encouraged because they will be raised first on the final day. So knowledge of the resurrection, both of Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of the dead being raised, and knowledge of how we will be raised is crucial to the life of the believer. So let's start by looking at Philippians chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, the Apostle Paul says here, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In verse 11 he says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So this term for resurrection that Paul uses here, it means to completely come out from the realm of the dead. So this clearly isn't a term meant to imply just a spiritual resurrection, and we'll get to a lot more of that uh, later on in this episode. And it certainly isn't borrowing from Greek mythology, like Osiris, for example, who continues in this legend to live on in the realm of the dead. The term translated resurrection is in sharp contrast to both of these things. So Christ has physically come out of the realm of the dead. That's the idea of the resurrection here. He's physically come out from the realm of the dead after being buried for three days. Uh, and it's important to keep this understanding in mind as we go through these passages, because this is so contrary to anything else in human history. In fact, we just did an episode on the resurrection compared to uh, ancient Greek mythology and how we can respond to that argument. So go back and check that out if you have the opportunity. I hope that's helpful for you. Um, but we have to understand that the resurrection is in sharp contrast to anything anyone in history has understood, including Greek mythology. So let's pick up in 1 Corinthians 15, 36, uh, following the verse that we had started with at the beginning of the episode, where the Corinthians ask, with what kind of body will we be raised? So in verse 36, Paul continues and says, how foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of his seed, he gives it its own body. So Paul is using the seed as an analogy here, of course, and, and in order for a seed to be ready to be planted and to grow a new plant and give life, it must first die. When we plant seeds, we plant dead seeds. That's why they're small and dry. So we are like a seed in this sense. Our current bodies must first die, and then they will be restored into what God intends for it to be. 
Uh, so our current body will be planted and it will grow into its full and true potential after death. And that's the idea of the resurrection here. Now, note how contrary this is, again, to the world's understanding of death. The, the regular understanding that once the body dies and decays, everything is all over. That's the end of it. It goes back to the earth. We're back to just simple stardust like we've always been, and everything is useless. But we're saying the complete opposite here. The Bible is telling us that God will take that old, decayed, sinful body that's deteriorated, that's falling apart, that can do nothing for itself, that lived a life of pain and suffering and so on and so forth, and he will make it brand new and better than we can possibly imagine or fathom here on earth. Uh, Somebody once said, in heaven, every grain of dust will be a diamond. So that's the idea we get here. He's taking our body and he's making it into something so much greater. The apostle, the apostle Paul continues on in verse 40, and he says, There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. It is a very important word here, a very important key word, because he says it is raised imperishable. So it is not referring to a different body, it is referring to our body, your body that will be raised from the dead and made new. So now this phrase, it... Among this and other passage in, in proofs in the New Testament, tells us that Paul isn't talking simply about a spiritual resurrection. Because Christ physically and literally raised from the dead bodily, that means we will too. So he says the body is sown, or our current earthly body, perishable. And the heavenly body is imperishable, it is eternal. So our current bodies are perishable. Just like food that you leave in a cabinet too long, it starts to rot, it gets old, um, it turns bad. Well, the imperishable body that our body will be made into will not be like that. It'll be eternal. So when Paul says that we will be raised in a spiritual body in the end of the passage, he does not say a body of spirit or only in spirit. Uh, In fact, he is referring to a body that is dominated by the spirit in opposition to the natural body, which is, of course, dominated by sin and the effects of sin. As Norman Geisler had pointed out, Paul is using the phrase, as one would say, Paul is a spiritual man or the Bible is a spiritual book. And we'll expand on that in a moment. But our bodies will be spiritual. The actual bodies we have right now will be made spiritual. They will be made new. And the language he uses in Romans is that they will be glorified. So our current bodies will be raised and brought to glory, which is what he points out in verse 43 here in 1 Corinthians 15. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Our bodies will be glorified. And now we can point back to that quote from earlier that we had mentioned, and we can see why we are not just a soul with a body. This would have been more in line with what the Greeks in Athens believed when Paul uh, preached the resurrection to them in Acts 17. They believed that the soul was immortal, but not the body. So they laughed at the idea of Paul bringing this physical resurrection. They thought that Paul was talking about different gods because they couldn't fathom a god dying and actually raising from the dead. So ancient Jews and Greeks both understood this claim, and we know that because they used the term for resurrection, referring to a physical resurrection when they were talking about their rejection of Christianity, 
And that's a term that they wouldn't have used for their own understanding of a spiritual resurrection. So our bodies, as we relate to death, are not just like a hermit crab going and finding a different shell once they've outgrown the one they're currently in. A lot of times uh, people tell those stories to kids and so on and so forth to, to help comfort them when a loved one has died. But I think a better example and a closer example, though not perfect, would be that in some sense where it's kind of like metamorphosis, where the actual creature is transformed into something different and something new. The actual body is taken. It's not, uh, uh, what are they called? Caterpillars. They're not given a new body. Their body is taken and it's changed and it's transformed. Well, we're going to be that same way when we get to heaven and we're glorified. Of course, it's not a perfect analogy because I don't think the caterpillar has to die or at least uh, I'm pretty sure they don't. And of course, it's not perfect because we're going to be made into something much greater than the leap from a caterpillar to a butterfly. But um, it's more of that kind of idea than it is of leaving a shell and, and finding a new shell. Because we're not going to find a new shell. Our shell is going to be made new. And if you remember Jesus talking about our treasure in heaven being stored up where it is secure and can't possibly be destroyed by moths or by rust, well, that is the same idea that we have with the treasure of our spiritual body, of our uh, complete and glorified body that we will receive. It can't be destroyed. It can't, it can't fall apart due to rust. It can't deteriorate. It is going to be perfect, and it is going to be in the presence of God. Now, if we jump down to verse 52, we're still in 1 Corinthians 15 here. Paul says that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So he says we will be changed. Not thrown away and, and, and then rediscovered, but we're going to be changed. It's a very important keyword here. Our current bodies will be changed. He goes on to expand on this, um, starting in verse 52, con- continuing. He says, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, in the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And just so we know, this is not an extensive exposition of these passages. We could spend all day on each one of these verses we're talking about and looking at. Uh, but of course, I'm simply giving a brief overview of the, niche, the nature of Christ's resurrected body and therefore the nature of our resurrected body. Now, when he says that the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, we are going to be transformed, we are going to be changed, but it is going to be our actual body. That's the point that that we need to understand as Christians, is God is taking your body that he created, and he's going to turn it into what it was supposed to be at the beginning of creation, and even greater uh, before the fall. So he's taking our body, and he's clothing it with the imperishable. Paul says the perishable has been clothed with the Im- the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And of course, as a result, death has been swallowed up in victory, which is why we celebrate the resurrection and one of the main reasons why we're doing this whole series on the resurrection. Now, as far as what scripture has to say about Jesus' physical body being raised, I just wanted to give a quick brief list um, and I think it's enough to prove the point that his physical body was raised. It wasn't simply spirit. But in Luke twenty four thirty nine, we see that Jesus had flesh and bones. Uh, in fact, he goes as far as to say and make clear that a spirit does not have flesh and bones like he has. Uh, we see that in Luke twenty four forty two, Jesus physically ate fish. 
Now, of course, they're recording this in Scripture, and this makes clear to us that Jesus was physically with the apostles. He wasn't just a ghost or a spirit. Um, and in fact, when they had first seen Jesus, the apostles thought he was a ghost. They were terrified uh, that he, he looked a little bit different because he had been changed. Um, they didn't recognize him at first, but they also thought he was a ghost when he walked on the water during his earthly ministry. They said, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. I'm terrified. What do we do? They're ready to jump overboard. Uh, maybe they wouldn't jump overboard because that's where they thought the ghost was, but they were ready to do something because they were terrified. And so this is consistent with their character anyway, that they thought he was a ghost. And I think this is because they were in such shock. He looked slightly different. Um, he had received his glorified body, so he was changed. And of course, he still had his scars, as we'll get to in a second. Uh, but Jesus physically ate fish in Luke 24 with the apostles. Uh, Jesus challenges his doubters to actually touch him. That's in Luke 24, verse 39. And another example of this is, uh, in a really clear example, is in John chapter 20, verse 27, where he tells Thomas to put his finger in his side, and Thomas does. And so he had challenged his doubters to actually touch him physically and see that he existed, see that he wasn't just a spirit or a ghost. He had physically raised from the dead. Um, and I think some questions that may arise from this topic are, number one, if our bodies will be raised on the last day, what happens to those who die right now? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul tells us that our soul goes immediately to be with Christ. So this brings at least two possibilities to mind. Um, the first one is that our soul dwells in the, the presence of Christ until the final day of judgment. And the second one is, uh, I think, a thought that kind of hurts our brains, and that is that time is not a factor in heaven in the same way that it is here. Of course, part of accepting who God is means that he is materialless or immaterial. He is timeless. He is tenseless. So God, the creator of everything, is outside of time. Uh, I don't remember who it was that I heard say this, but it's sort of like the person who created your, <clears throat> your iPhone is not trapped inside of your iPhone. They're outside of the iPhone. So it's the same way with God. Uh, he created the universe, so he has to be beyond the universe. He has to transcend the universe. And so God's not limited to time. And for that reason, uh, we know that heaven is not limited to time in the, same way that, uh, in the same way that we are here on earth. So time is not a factor in heaven like it is here. And so when we put these two th things together, at the very least, we see that the first possibility seems to be the case, at least chronologically, uh, insofar as we understand time here on earth, because our, our soul will go immediately to dwell with Christ, and then we will be united and, and receive our glorified body on the last day of judgment. But we don't know exactly what this looks like, because we don't know what it's like to function outside of time. Uh, a second question could be, isn't this a lot like reincarnation, when people are uh, Christian people are describing receiving new bodies and so on and so forth. Well, that sounds like uh, the Buddhist teaching of reincarnation. And of course, the answer is no, this is very far from reincarnation. Uh, firstly, our own physical bodies will be restored. So we're not going to receive a new body like, like the belief of uh, reincarnation tells us. We're not going to inhabit uh, rather, the body of another creature. We're not going to become another animal, another creature, another person. We are going to keep our identity. Uh, we're going to have our own body transformed, but we're going to keep our own unique identity, our own unique being that Christ created us with. So we're not going to receive a new body. Um, and this, and this kind of goes along with the idea of karma. 
which is the second thing I'm going to say here. And it's that the state of our bodies has nothing to do with earning our salvation. Uh, we receive our new glorified changed bodies after salvation. Of course, the idea of reincarnation is it's like you get what you deserve. Um, I think it's kind of common to hear Christians talk about karma. Something bad happens and they say, oh, that's just karma. And But that's not something that we believe as Christians. That's something that we would wholly reject, just like we would have rejected any Greek mythology. Uh, just like when you look at the book of Colossians, Paul is going out of his way to say these angels and planets and so on and so forth. They do not guide our destiny. They do not have power over us. Uh, it is Christ alone who is sufficient to rule our lives. It is Christ alone who is sufficient to hold the universe together. Um, so ideas like karma and so and so and so forth, they have no place in Christianity, and that is just necessarily linked with the idea of reincarnation. So the resurrection is very far from the idea of reincarnation, just like it's very far from the uh, Greek myths that we had talked about last week. So, and I've heard many believers claim, uh, or or those who claim to be believers claim that relatives who have passed away may appear as butterflies or they may appear as birds and so on and so forth. But again, this is not a Christian teaching. We are going to go straight to be with Christ. Um, those who don't believe, of course, are going to go to Christ on the judgment day or go to the great white throne judgment on the judgment day, and we will either be sent to heaven or to hell, but nobody's going to become another animal or another creature. We are going to keep our own bodies and be resurrected, or um, as we're told in scripture, he who can destroy both body and soul in hell, who by the way is God, not Satan. Satan is not the ruler of hell. He's not the king of hell. He's cast into the lake of fire, um, just like the rest of evil. So, um, so that's something to keep in mind. There also seems to be a popular notion that when someone dies, they come back as an angel. Of course, this is probably, I don't know how many people actually believe this. I think quite a few, but it's probably more popular in movies and stories and things like that. Uh, but I hope at this point in the episode, we've gathered enough to know that this is obviously not the case. Uh, angels are a totally separate creation and they have a totally separate purpose. I think it'd be cool to do a study on angels one day. We can probably get into that if you guys have questions about angels, make sure you send them in so we can maybe see how many people may be interested in that. But angels are a totally separate creation. They are not former human beings. Um, and in fact, they existed before human beings. And somebody may bring up that Christ says we will be like the angels when we're resurrected. But if we actually look at the uh, context of that passage in Mark 12 or in Matthew 22, where Jesus tells us that we'll be like the angels, he's talking about very clearly um, in the sense that we're not going to be married in heaven. We're not going to marry other people in heaven, just as the angels don't marry. So he's not talking about in terms of our physical being. He's not saying that we're going to be like angels in any sense other than we won't marry. So he's just using the uh, the example of angels to rebuke the Sadducees who are coming to him and trying to trap him with this question. So uh, these are just things to keep in mind. I think these are common questions that can come up when we're talking about these these topics or this specific topic. But the main point here is that we are going to have our body restored. He is going to make us new. Christ is going to make us like him only if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the whole reason that we do this radio show slash podcast. That's the whole reason for the C.S. Lewis Society ministry. We want to help people understand the faith. We want people to know who Jesus Christ is so they can be saved and, and spend an eternity with him and so that they can take that knowledge and that joy um, and they can share it with other people, sharing the gospel and defending the gospel to people that they may work with, with friends and with family. So we highly encourage you to do that. That's why we're doing this, to equip you to do that. 
And we'd appreciate if you can help us out with that. So if you're listening over the radio, again, uh, we want to encourage you to subscribe to the Universe Next Door podcast. We are on every major podcast platform, including Apple Podcast, including Spotify, including CastBox, Buzzsprout, uh, whatever it is we use, I can almost guarantee you that we're on there. And so please subscribe to our podcast. You're going to find all kinds of episodes and content that haven't been played over the radio. So you'll learn a whole lot more. You'll see a whole lot more that you may not have known we did. Um, and so go check that out and be sure to share it with a friend or a family member or a coworker. It's a great way to start conversations. It's a great way to get them uh, to at least begin to understand the gospel. And of course, it's the most efficient way for us to share and defend the truth of the gospel here in our program. Most podcasts and radio shows get popular because of uh, word of mouth, because of people sharing these programs. So please go ahead and do that. It would help us out a lot, and we hope it'll help you a lot. And if you have any questions, be sure to email them to information at apologetics.org, and we'll see you back here for the next episode of The Universe Next Door. Thank you.